Okay. That's what we all say about you, by the way. Um, so, today's shear should be an aliyah for the neshama of Nisan Ven Baruch, who left too soon. It should be a chama for his family. Um, Parshas Vayeshev. I should point out that uh, for those who are not going to be listening live, um, this shear is going to be rated R. So... Yeah, buckle up and make sure that there are uh, no young ears in the room if you're listening to this on speaker or whatever. Okay, let's go right into it. So, Vayeshev Yaakov Eretz Migurea Viva Eretz Kanan, page 198 in the Stoner. Yaakov dwelled in, he settled in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Kanaan. Um, this is a very, very famous measure here that Rashi cites. Everybody knows it, but it doesn't make any sense. Measure says, what does Vayeshev mean? Bikesh Yaakov Leishev Bishalva. Yaakov wanted to dwell with relaxation, serenity, calmness. And Hashem says, what? It's not enough for the tzaddikim that they get shalva and olam haba. They want to get an olam haza also. Immediately, kofatz alav rogzo shel yosefu. So immediately God throws at him this whole uh, awful Parsha of Yosef with the brothers and the fighting and the this and that, which derailed Claudius Yisrael for a very long time. Um, and of course, the obvious question is, what did Yaakov want? Like, he wanted to, like, kick back and smoke a cigar and watch football all day? I mean, that's what I would want to do, but, but I don't think that that's what he wanted to do. So what do you think Leishu Vishalva means? It's not that he wasn't going to develop. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound... Like something that Yaakov would do. So what is it that, what shalva is it that Yaakov is looking towards and why is it not okay that he get a little of it? It's like God's saying to him, well, you can't have Olam Haza and Olam Haba. I'm pretty sure that we can. Olam Haza is here for us as well. It's all for our enjoyment. So what's he doing wrong? Well, these are the generations of Yaakov. Yosef is 17. And he's got problems. He's got problems with his brothers. They got family issues. Uh, and, you know, his dad bought him a fancy coat. And that made the brothers very upset. And uh, they hated him. They hated him because they knew that daddy loves him more than he loves them. Which, of course, is, is interesting because they didn't hate the father for it. They hated the brother for it. Which, you know, might be psychologically understandable. But still, it's curious with Torah tells this. Um, they can't get along. Now, it's important to point out that you're not dealing with eight-year-olds who are squabbling over the proverbial Yankee got a bigger piece of cake than me in the Marvelous Mitos machine. These people are married. They're like older. They're married with kids. They have a lot of money. These are powerful dudes. And they're very jealous of the coat. They're very jealous of their little brother. And that's a, it's a strange thing. It's hard to understand. You know, like I, I think we've mentioned in years past, I have a little brother and my father never bought me a car. So can you imagine he would go and buy my kid brother who's nine years younger than I am, buy him a Ferrari. Would I be jealous? Yeah, probably. Would I hate him? Probably not. Would I want to kill him? No. That's a bit much. The brothers want to kill Yosef, quite literally kill Yosef. And they, they compromise in not killing him, but rather just selling him as a slave. 
they were able to talk themselves down from killing him to just to merely selling him as a slave. This wasn't happening over a coat. That doesn't, that just doesn't stand to any reason whatsoever. Well, so he has this dream. He has this dream. It says the brothers hate him because they see the father likes him more. So on page 200 and so And Yosef dreamt the dream and told his brothers and they hated him even more. And he said to them, Listen to this dream that I have dreamt. We were all bundling the sheaves in the field, and all my my bundle jumped up in the middle and started to do the hora, and all of your sheaves started bowing down to my sheaves. Um, and his brother said to him, Are you going to be the king over us? Are you going to be a dictator over us? And they hated him even more. But you see, that's a problem because how do you square that with Pasuk Hey? Pasuk Hey is Yosef dreamt a dream and told his brothers and they hated him more. And then he tells them the dream and it says they hated him more. But I'm sorry, I'm confused. They hated him more is because he told them the dream. If they hated him more is because he told them the dream, that's the second Pasuk. The latter Pasuk says, and after he told them the dream, they hated him more about his dreams and his words. So what does it mean he dreamt the dream and he told them and he hated him? It can't be that he dreamt the dream and he told them the dream and they hated him more because that's what it says after it actually recounts the dream. So it can't mean that. That's a little strange. Well, and you know, Yosef is kind of a moron. Um, he thinks now I'm going to tell them the second dream. This is this is really idiotic, right? Like the well, first time, he, he that's true. He's a teenager, but but again, a seventeen-year-old in the ancient world is not a teenager of today. You know, you're you're out in the fields, you're married, you're you're a man, like you're legit a man. So he didn't pick up on the fact that they hate him. <laughs> Obviously, he knows this. He's not a fool. He's not a fool. But he tells them again, and he says, "Hinei have another dream." And it's the, the sun and the moon and the stars are bowing to me. And, uh, and now they're jealous of him. By And his brothers were jealous of him. And his father was waiting for this to actually take place. Now, you'll note that the brothers were not jealous of him when the father loved him more. And the brothers were not jealous of him when he got the coat. How do I know that? Because the Torah tells you when they were jealous of him. They were jealous of him after the second dream. After the father loved him more, they hated him, but they weren't jealous. They were not jealous of their father's love. Ba'ikanubo means they're jealous of him, and they're not jealous of him after the first dream, they're jealous of him after the second dream. And of course, you might ask yourself, um, what is the difference between the first dream and the second dream anyway? They sound kind of the same. It's 11 things bowing to me. What is the difference in the dreams? So... I don't want to over-dramatize it. I think um, the second one the that's true. The second one includes the parents. That's that's true. Um, why do you need two dreams for that? Could have just had, you know, the 11 sheaves bowing down to him and then two tractors. <laughs> the tractors would have been the parents. It's a lot more powerful if your metaphor isn't you just picked it's the sun and the moon and the stars. So just have the second dream. Why do you need the first dream? I tell them the second dream and you saw the reaction in the first. 
I tell, yeah, but I'm saying let, let him just have one dream. Why is he having two different dreams that are kind of the same except for the parental issue? So obviously the two dreams have nothing to do with each other. They're two totally different dreams. The first dream is sheaves, and the second dream, anyone have an extra pen? The first dream is sheaves, and the second dream is celestial bodies. Well, what's going on here? So let's talk for a moment about the Kisonis Pasin. The Kisonis Pasin, this, uh, this coat of many colors, actually does come up elsewhere in Tanakh. It says that the, the children of David HaMelech would wear these Kisonis Pasin. They would have these, uh, these coats, again, of many colors. So the coat of many colors was the symbol of the heir apparent, of the royal family. So what Yaakov Avinu is doing by giving Yosef a Kisonis Pasim is he is inaugurating him, he's coronating him, he's tapping him as the heir apparent. He's the crown prince. He's Mohammed bin Salman to, to King Salman. Well, once he gets that, once he gets that distinction, Notice how the brothers react to this. They say two things. They say, You're going to be king over us. You're going to be dictator over, over us. Well, what's the difference between a melech and a moshe? Difference is, a melech, a king, ain't melech below am. There is no king without a nation, i.e., Kim Jong-un is not a king. He is not a king. Neither is Queen Elizabeth a monarch. We can pretend that she's a monarch, but she's a monarch on the cornflakes box. She's not a real monarch. A monarch is a person who is chosen by the people to be the monarch. That's what a king is. A king emerges from the people, which you find by David and Elf, the people are telling him, we want you to be king over us. Um, a Moshel, however, is a dictator. Kim Jong-un is a Moshel, not a Melech. If he would give his, his people um, the vote, he would not win the vote. Same as, you know, whatever. You can, you can fill, fill many, many pages throughout history of people like that. So... What the brothers are saying to him is, oh, you're going to be king over us? We're not electing you. Well, maybe you think you're going to force us into subjugation. I'd like to see you try. There's ten of us, and we're bigger than you. I say ten because, you know, Benjamin, I don't know where Benji is in this story, but he doesn't really come in feature until later. He's a little boy. So what is the difference, as we said, between the first dream and the second dream? And why are they hating him twice by the first dream? The Pusik is telling you exactly what it means to say. It says he had a dream and he told them and they hated him. But he hasn't told them the dream yet. That's right. They're not hating him for what it says in the dream. They're hating him for having the dream and telling them. That is why they're hating him. So when he comes to them, he says, hey, guys, I have this dream. They hated him more. And then he told them the dream. And then they hated him more again. Now, what? why do you hate someone for having a dream? Well, you notice that the Parsha begins and ends with dreams, yes? The Parsha begins with the dreams of Yosef, and the Parsha ends with the dreams of the Saramashkim and the Sarhaofim. How is it that Yosef is able to interpret the dreams of the Saramashkim and the Sarhaofim? And if you look in the Gemara and Brachos, this should, this should answer many, many questions for you. Um, this will also answer how, how we know that, you know, he, Paro is happy with Yosef's interpretation, but no one else's interpretation. I believe that the Pshat is, yes. Yes. Father does give this particular child mm. the quote. And it's very clear, it's not unambiguous. I mean, right. And why, if they love their father, why won't they accept 
I'll tell you what, after this year, I'll tell you why. But I think that you can already know why. And the only reason why you would ask such a question means to me that you are a very filial daughter. A very, very filial daughter to ask that question. Right? You, your parents would be very, very proud of you. But that's not the case by most people. I don't think other people have that question. You have that question. So, but we'll talk about it after and I'll explain why. So, so, why is it that Yosef is able to interpret dreams? Is it a Ruach HaKodesh business? I don't think so. The answer is Yosef understands one thing more than anything else, and that is people. Do you know what dreams are? Dreams are your subconscious mind when you're not at the rudder. That is exactly what a dream is. See, um, we've we've talked. I remember we talked about this either last year, two years ago, three years ago. But at some point in the past, we talked about this because I realized it was Shira. I was probably before Yoni was born, so maybe a couple years already. But you know, you have little kids, and and your kid wakes up in the middle of the night because they had a bad dream, and they come running into your room, and and you say to them, oh, okay, you know, you give them a hug and a little pat, they'll cry a little bit, send them back to bed. What's the big deal? It's just a bad dream, right? That's ah, just a bad dream. Go back to bed. What a horrifically stupid thing to say. Where did the bad dream come from? Exactly. The bad dream came from your mind, which means there's something in your mind that terrifies you. And your dad's like, ah, it's nothing. It's just it's to go back to sleep. It's nothing. It's very silly. No, no, it's a problem. It's a problem. It means that something in your mind is very, very scary. But that also means, see, the reason that dreams are difficult to interpret, to understand what they mean, is because your, your mind does not speak in language. Your conscious mind speaks in language because you've been trained and you die into a particular language, but your mind doesn't speak in language. Your mind is beyond words, so it doesn't express itself to you in words. That's why you don't dream in words. You dream in pictures. You dream in visions, quite literally. That's why we say a dream and a vision. They're literally the same thing, right? The guy had a dream. He had a vision. It's the same thing. That means that if I understand you, perhaps even better than yourself, I can tell you what your dream means to you, which is, of course, what it means next week. There was no one who interpreted it to par o. Whenever they would tell him the interpretation of the dream, he'd be like, dude, that's you. That's not me. I tell you my dream about the cows and the wheat, and you're like, oh, it means this. No, moron. That's what it would have meant to you. That's not what it means to me. Whereas when Yosef sits with him, we'll talk about this more next week, Yosef is like, oh, I'll tell you what this means, par o. And he's able to do that with the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ofim as well, which, of course, you understand means that the Sarah Mashkim knows that he's innocent and the Sarah Ofim knows that he's guilty, which is why he knows he's going to die. It doesn't have to be prophetic. He knows he's going to die because he knows he did something very wrong. Well, why is it that Paro, you know, uh, flips a coin and arbitrarily pardons the Sarah Mashkim and not the Sarah Ofim? Because, because the Medrash tells us that why were they both in jail? Because the Sarah Mashkim was handing the wine to Paro and a fly fell in it. Well, you get right to the jail, man, if you hand Paro a cup of wine with a fly in it and the Sarah Ofim had a pebble in the bread. <laughs> you do that to the king, he's going to throw you in jail too. But you see the difference, don't you? Because pebbles don't fly. That was your rashlanut, your uh, in, in negligence, which allowed a pebble to get into the dough. It wasn't negligent of you necessarily to allow a fly to come in. It's just, you know, you're going to have to take the fall for that. And that's why he pardons the Saramashim, not Saraofim. That's why he knew he was going to die and he knew he wouldn't die. And that's why he was in the psychology. And that's why Yosef was able to, to tell them that. Well, once Yosef comes to his brothers and say, hey, hey, guys, um, you know, I'm the I'm the crown prince over here. So I'm going to be kind of leading the team. Um, I have this vision for the team. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want to hear what your vision is. I hate you. I'm not interested. The fact that you're even thinking of yourself as the crown prince, the guy who has to have 
any vision whatsoever that would involve all of us as a collective, I can tell you right now, we hate you even more for that. And then he tells them the dream. And then, oh boy, do they hate him. Oh, big time they hate him. Now, what's the difference between the first dream and the second dream? Obviously, both dreams come true. The first dream is financial and the second dream is political. How do you know the first dream is financial? Well, it's talking about wheat bowing to wheat, not wheat bowing to me. Wheat bowing to wheat. Your wheat is bowing to my wheat. Well, what did Yosef think they were going to feel when he tells them that dream? Well, I, I think he was very, um, he was quite objective about it. He's like, okay, guys, I have the vision. Here's what we're going to do. Zivulun, you live on the coast and you have all of the merchant stuff. Asher, you're up, you're up in the top in the bread basket. You're going to have the factories that produce, that produce the grain. Um, let's see. I, I don't know the topography well, the geography or the topography of the land well enough, but uh, you guys are going to have the Tehelas factories, and you're going to deal with that. And you guys are going to have the farm stores. You guys are going to have the finance departments. You guys are going to have the entertainment industry. And it's all going to run through the central location. Obviously, I'm the central location. I'm the hub. But I don't think that I'm better than you in any way. I just think that everything is coming through, you know, all roads lead to Rome. I'm in Rome, and we're going to run this operation like an excellent family business. And, of course, the only thing that they hear is, oh, you're the focus, you're the central figure, you're the nucleus. That's all they hear because that's what they see because they came into this hating him because he thinks he's the prince, which is how they react. Oh, you think you're in charge? What does that have to do with in charge? What does that have to do with in charge? Everyone has a job on the team. We need linebackers, and we need defensive ends, and we need cornerbacks, and we need a quarterback and an offensive line and wide receivers. I'm the quarterback. You're the wide receivers. Everyone's going to do their job. We're going to win many, many championship rings. That's not what they're hearing. What's the second dream? The second dream is, of course, a dream of politics because they're bowing to me. Why would they be bowing to me, and why would you think that your father and mother would bow to you? As you'll say, so unbelievably egotistical that he thinks his father is going to be subservient to him. We know that Yosef loved his father, Elamis. I mean, he was totally, totally in love with his father, as his father was with him. Which, of course, his father says, what, is, am I going to know your father and mother going to come out to you? How does Yosef perceive that dream? Well, it's exactly what happened. Who is going to be the face of the nation towards outside political forces. Yosef. Yosef. I am going to be the foreign minister. I'm going to be the prime minister. I'm Bibi. And just like Bibi, no one likes you. You get things, you get things done, but no one likes you. But yeah, and that's, and that's in fact what happened. It's not about me being the king. It's about me being the figurehead through which everything will flow, which in fact is what happens. Why does Yosef have to be that guy? I mean, could it be any clearer why Yosef has to be that guy? I mean, we'll see later on in Parsha Saigash um, why Yosef can deal with the outside world and the other brothers can't. The other brothers are a bunch of uh, religious... Relationship with God yeah. and they're doing it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but maybe. So, again, it's political, and he's the one that has to be the guy facing outside, uh, which he becomes the para. Now... Of course, of course, hmm. no, we'll get to that later. That's why they hate him. That's what the Kasonas Possum is. That's the difference between the two dreams, and that's why they hate him even more. Why are they jealous of him now and not before? Because before, 
it was an old man loving one son over another son. And I may hate you, but I'm not jealous of you. Now that we hear your dreams, we're jealous of you. Why? The, the, hmm? the two terms are very international. Hate and jealousy? Yeah. I mean, they're both negative emotions, but you hate people that you're not jealous of, and you can be jealous of people that you don't hate. And the fact that the Torah terms, the, the Torah um, frames one issue as hate and the other issue as jealousy. That tells you that they're each in context. They're only jealous after the second dream. Well, why would you be jealous? You're only jealous because it's true. The person who, the person who, you know, walks into the insane asylum saying that he's Napoleon Bonaparte is not somebody that you're jealous of, despite the fact that he thinks he's Napoleon Bonaparte. But you might actually be jealous of Napoleon Bonaparte. You're jealous of the guy that will be the king. You're not jealous of the guy that thinks he's king and isn't. So they believe him when he kills. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. They believe it. They believe it now. They didn't before, but they, they started to believe this now, possibly because of their father's reaction. So, so their father sends him to Shrem after his brothers. And, you know, you think to yourself, what the heck was the old man thinking? What the heck was the old man thinking? He's got to be crazy. And it says, um, He sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shrem. And it's the famous Rashi. What do you mean he sent him from the valley of Hebron? Hebron is not in the valley. Rather, it's, It is... The, from the deep, from the depths of the idea of the tzaddik who's buried in Hebron, meaning Avraham. And we said in years past that what this means is this is how the Jews are going to end up in Mitzrayim. Because Akash Baruch Hu said to Avraham Avinu, that you must know that your children are going to be slaves. Well, how does that happen? It happens because they sell Yosef. And where do they sell him to? They sell him to Egypt. And how do they sell him? Because he went to Shem to find them. And who sent him there? Yaakov did. But really, this was all putting into effect the dominoes that would knock down and result in all of them being in Egypt. That's what it means. And I'll show you another reference to that in this week's Parsha. And he finds the brothers and they say, and they say, let's kill him. And Reuben's like, no, don't kill him. Okay, let's throw him in a pit instead. They throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. And then all of a sudden Reuben's not there, which we'll discuss in a few moments. And Yehuda says, What's the point of letting him die in a pit? There's no money in that. Let's sell him. And in fact, they do sell him. And he's sold to Swiss Paro Tara Tabachim. But it's fascinating that it says, that it says, they look up on page 204, they sit back to eat bread. They lift their eyes and they see, there's a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilad. Now, we've discussed before that when it says, Vayisa eno vayar, he lifted his eyes and he saw, whenever you find that, it's talking about an epiphany. There's something epiphanous happening. Otherwise, it doesn't have to say, you lifted your eyes and you saw. It could just say, and you saw. Or it could just say, and there was an Orchaz Yishma'elam. It says they lifted their eyes and they saw. That means that there's something prophetic or epiphanous that's happening here. And from whence was the caravan coming? From Gilad. Now, this is, I think, so bloody cool. I don't know why they're Yishmaelim, but you don't think that it's an accident that they're Yishmaelim, right? It doesn't make sense that it would be an accident that they're from Yishmael, because otherwise all it would have said was that there was a caravan coming from Gilad. But it doesn't. It tells you who the caravan was. And that means that it's essential that you understand that the people who are running this caravan have something to do with the story. I don't know what the answer is yet, but that's a good question. But it says they're coming from Gilad. They're coming from Gilad. What do we know about Gilad? Gilad has only come up once before in the Torah. Gilad came 
came when uh, when Yaakov was running away from Lavan. Where did they find each other? At Har HaGilad, which is, of course, what the word means. It means Gal Eid. It means the, the pile of rocks that would serve as a testimony. That's where they're coming from. They're coming from Gilad. Well, you know what's super interesting? We say this by Pesach. We say, Arami Oved Avi Vayered Mitzrayma. Lavan tried to kill my father and they went down to Egypt. You know, a whole heck of a lot of things happened in between Lavan trying to kill Yaakov and the Jews going down to Egypt. There were many decades in between. So what does it mean, Arami Oved Avi Vayered Mitzrayma? It means that we're talking about, we're talking about the sequence of events. I'm not telling you all the little things that happened in between. The first thing that Yaakov had to deal with was his father-in-law, Lavan. And after he dealt with Lavan, now it's time to go to Egypt. How is that going to happen? It's going to take 30 years, and this is how it's going to happen. But you see, you already knew that from Parshas Vayishlach, because it says in Parshas Vayishlach that Esau left the land of Canaan because of Yaakov, his brother. He went to Eretz. What's Eretz? He went to a land. Meaning it doesn't matter where he went, he just wanted to leave. The point isn't where he went. He went to Seir, but that's not the point. The point is he went to anywhere. Why? Because he says, if I'm not going to get the payment, I don't want to pay the bill. What's the bill? 400 years of slavery. So Esau says, if Yaakov is going to Lavan and he's going to come back from there, that means that he's going down to Mitzrayim. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So they're coming from Gilad. They're coming from the place where Yaakov left Lavan, meaning the next step in the trajectory of Kal Yisrael after dealing with Lavan at Gilad is Arame Oviravi by Yered Mitzrayma. How'd they get down to Egypt? Because there was a little Jew boy, 17-year-old named Joe. And there was a Orchas Yishma'elin Bo'omi Gilad. So you have two references in the exact same paragraph about how God is, is um, Sequencing the events that will lead to the Eitzah Amuka Shaloso Tzadik Hakover Bechevron, Avraham Avinu, who, who God told his children will be in Egypt, and that happened after Yaakov was able to deal with Lavan from Gilad, and they and they and they sell him there, and then they of course go to their father and make this whole spiel that he's dead, and Yaakov is very upset, understandably. Um, before we go on, I, I, I'd like to answer the first question because. Otherwise, I think we might we might go into the weeds. There's so much in this parsha, man. We could talk for three hours about this parsha right now and barely scratch the surface. Yaakov is mevakesh leishe b'shalva. Yaakov wants to relax. What does that mean? Why is Hashem upset at him for this? Why is the punishment this this business with Yosef? Well, we said in the beginning of Ayetze, we said in the beginning of Ayetze that when the angels saw the face of Yaakov. They recognized it as being the face that's etched into the Kisei HaKavod. And what that means is that Yaakov, Yaakov is the ideal human being. Yisrael is the ideal human being as conceived by God in my separations. When God made the Big Bang go boom, all of that was in order to eventually, 15 billion years later, result in an idea and an ideal that we call Yisrael. And the face of that Yisrael is that guy sleeping down there on a pile of rocks. Holy cow, let's go look at him. That's what that means. Well, you notice that Yaakov Avinu has 12 sons. He has 12 tribes. And you wonder, why are there 12 tribes? What there should be is one nation. Why 12 tribes? Well, here's what you know. You need 12 tribes. How do I know that? 
because there are 12 tribes. If we didn't need 12 tribes, there would not be 12 tribes. Well, why would you need 12? It must be that they're not all the same, because if they were all the same, once again, you don't have 12, you have one. So that means that you have 12 equal components of one whole. What is that whole? That whole, that entirety, is Yisrael. And its component parts are Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Hud, Yisrael, Hesulun, Danatali, Gadasher, Yosef, and Benyamin. And they have to interact with each other in a very, very focused and completely integrated system, as we're going to see later on in Sefer by Midbar, around the Mishkan, which of course we also know from Parshas Vayechi, is how they stood around their father's coffin when they transported him, because all of these things are laying the seeds for what would eventually become a massive nation, which means Yisrael, Yaakov, is the entirety, he is the entirety of Am Yisrael. And when you split him into 12 components, you get 12 tribes. And when you split those 12 tribes up, each one is made up of Mishpachos and Avos, which we're going to see later. Each tribe, we, we actually discussed this a few weeks ago when we talked about, um, when we talked about Achan coming from, coming from this guy, coming from this guy, coming from this guy, coming from this guy, from Sheva Yehuda. It means that within Sheva Yehuda, there are, there are several houses. And within those houses, there are micro categories. And it all really comes out. It's just math. It's just math. You start with one, divide to two, then four, then eight, then 16, 32, 64, 128, etc., etc. So, what does it mean that Yaakov wants to be Yoshe Bishalva? Yaakov says, I did it. I attained Yisrael. I achieved Yisrael in last week's Parsha. I dealt with my brother Esav. I dealt with my father-in-law Lavan. I dealt with the Malach. And now I'm good. My father gave me the brachos. The angel gave me the brachos. My brother gave me the brachos. And God gave me the brachos. I'm done. I'm good. I can bow out stage left. Which, in fact, is what Avraham did. At the end of Avraham's life, it says, Avraham exited stage left and gave everything to Yitzchak. That's how it says in the Parsha. And then Yitzchak becomes the main character of the Parsha. But Avraham would live for several decades more. You don't hear about Avraham anymore. Why? Because he's finished. Avraham was finished. He was finished with his development as an Av, as a prototype, and handing it over to Yitzchak. He handed him the baton. Similarly, Yitzchak hands the baton to Yaakov, and he's done, even though he'll live for many more years. Yitzchak lived well past Mechiras Yosef. But we already said in Parshas Vayishlach that Yitzchak died. But he didn't die for many decades. And the answer is that's true. He didn't die for many decades, but that's not the point. The point is he has finished his, his achievement status, and therefore we're going to say, and he died at 185. But it's going to be in 50 years. Yes, I know that. But at 185, he dies, the story is over, and he passed it to Yaakov. Yaakov achieved what he had to do. He got all the brachas, he dealt with all the people, he was my mid-12 shvatim, and now he's handing the baton to the 12 shvatim, which he does. He says, okay, Yosef, boom, tap, you're the crown prince, shalom al Yisrael, have a nice day, I'm out. Didn't work out that way, did it? Because it turns out the process isn't finished. Because now that you have achieved the level of Yisrael, whatever that means, now that you've achieved Yisrael, I'm going to split Yisrael into 12 parts. That doesn't mean that they're going to play nicely. There has to be a reintegration of the 12. You have achieved the one, the one wholeness. Now that you cut that one wholeness into 12, they don't see themselves as one anymore. They see themselves as 12. And now you have to take an even more active role in uniting the 12, which Yaakov did not understand he had to do. So what happened? They fight. They fight. You look pain. Well, I'm pain for a few reasons. <laughs> reason we haven't even started the, yet. The reason about this is that 
Yes. In particular, is because if Abraham mm. achieved the status, yes. This one, but he didn't achieve the status. Only Yaakov did. I mean, of Yisrael. Yaakov achieves the status, the ultimate status of Yisrael. But just go with it. Go with the flow. So, so, but, but I'm hearing two different things. Like mm. you're saying when Abraham finished whatever it was he was right his job, to, he walks away and gives it to Yitzchak. Right. So, what I'm saying is that I get the impression that when an individual mm. finishes whatever, uh-huh. they're done. Well, they're done as far as the story goes. They still live for 50 years. They're done as far as the story. And the point is that Yaakov thought that he was done with the story prematurely. That's My the point. My point is, yes. is that why, if these 12 sons are individuals, mm-hmm. why are you, I mean, I don't quite understand why now each one as an individual can't be completed. Why, why they can be completed as individuals, but they're not supposed to be individuals. They're supposed to be a team. If you have the most amazing running back in the world, the most amazing wide receiver in the world, and a fantastic quarterback, you're not going to win anything. Just ask the Pittsburgh Steelers. You have to be integrated as one, and that has yet to happen. In fact, that's yet to happen in, in our history. We're going to see that from now on. It's going to be a massive fight between Yehuda and Yosef, as, as we see in this parsha. So, so they, they sell him down to... Mitzrayim, and he gets bought by Potiphar, and then we cut scene, and we go to we go to Yehuda. And what's happening with Yehuda? Well, Yehuda's not having a good time of it because the brothers blame him. The brothers blame him for the selling of Yosef, especially Reuben. Well, where was Reuben? Why wasn't Reuben there when they sold him? It says that Reuben came back to the pit thinking he was going to find Yosef and bring him back to his father, but Reuben wasn't there. Well, I'm going to hopefully answer for you a question that I raised a couple weeks ago when we went down a rabbit hole. It says that Reuven was busy doing teshuva for moving the beds of his father and Bilhah. Now watch this. This is crazy. This is crazy. When the tribes are being born in Parshas Vayetze, it says that Rachel finally has a child and she names him Yosef. Why does she name him Yosef? Yosef Hashem Li Bein Acher. May God give me another son. Right? What an awful mom. She doesn't even give the kid a name that has anything to do with him. She's like, she names this kid, God give me another one of these. Like, wow, talk about selfish. Talk about selfish. Interesting. Well, after Rachel dies, Yaakov moves his bed into the tent of Bilhah. And Reuven gets very upset. Why does Reuven get upset? Because it's bad enough that when my mother, well, my aunt Rachel was alive, Dad used to spend all the time with Aunt Rachel and not Mama Leia. Now that Rachel's dead, you're going to put your bed in the servant girl of, my, of Aunt Rachel? He was Tava El Bonimo. He was making a statement. He was making a statement. How dare you disrespect my mother that way? Well, what happens because of that statement? It says that Yaakov tells him, Parshas Vayachi, that he loses his Bechorah. He loses his double portion. Why does he lose his double portion? Well, Pachas Kamai Maltosar, you were impetuous and you, you messed with your father's bed. Hmm, interesting. What would his father have done with said bed? The answer is he would have had another child. He would have had another child. How do you know this? Because what's the 
pasuk that comes right on the heels of of what um, of what Ruvain did. It says Vayihiyu Masar. Ruvain switches the beds. Yaakov hears about it, and the sons of Yaakov were twelve. Thank you very much, but I have my trusty abacus and I know how to count the twelve. I only need two toes. Why are you telling me the sons of Yaakov were twelve? The idea is because Yaakov knows it's supposed to be thirteen. How do we know it's supposed to be thirteen? Because immediately before that happens, God came to Yaakov in Bethel and said, I'm "Going to give you another kid." So he knew he was going to have another child, and then Rachel dies. So it couldn't be another child from Rachel. So he puts his bed into Bilhah's tent, and then Reuben comes and mixes and mixes up the beds. That has now profaned that relationship. So it can't be now. He only has 12. But one second. Yaakov knows that Hashem said he's going to have another child. Who's that child going to be? Ephraim and Menashe. Yosef gets two tribes instead of one. Which is exactly what Yaakov says to Yosef when he's dying in Egypt. He says, Now, You are two sons that were born to you in Egypt. They're mine. Ephraim and Menashe are going to be like Reuven and Shimon, meaning instead of Yosef being one tribe like everybody else, Yosef gets two tribes, which is very, I think, incredibly cool, and I've never noticed this before, but what is Yosef's name? Yosef Lee Bain Acher. May God give me another son. Oh, how cool is that? Well, why is Reuven named Reuven? Reuven is named Reuven, says the Gemara, because when he was born... The words Reu Bain mean see the difference between. Omar says that Leah said, Reu ma bain bini le ben chami. See the difference between my son and my mother-in-law's son. Who's my mother-in-law's son? Esav. Esav loses his bechorah to his younger brother and he tries to kill him and gets very angry. My son loses his bechorah to his younger brother and he doesn't act like that. What bechorah did, did Reuven lose to Yosef? Double tribe. Double tribe. How did Reuven lose that? By switching the beds. Now you understand, at the very end of Yaakov's life, he tells Reuven, I'm telling you now that you did a terrible, terrible thing. And Chazal say, why didn't he tell him before? He says, oh, I was afraid that he would go off to Esau. Why were you afraid to go off to Esau? Because exactly the same thing that happened to Esau happened to Reuven. That's why. And not only did exactly the same thing that happened to Esau happen to Reuven, <laughs> his name is because of that Misa. Well, isn't it cool that the kid, when Leah says my kid is better than my brother-in-law because he doesn't hate his little brother despite the fact that he got the double portion, he tries to save his little brother. When did he try to save his little brother? In the pit. In the pit. He tried to save him from the pit. But he wasn't there when he was getting sold. Why wasn't he there? Because it says he was doing tshuva with his dad for switching the beds. So not only not only is he different and better than his uncle Esau for trying to save the brother that he lost the double portion to, but while he was doing tshuva for messing with the beds was when his little brother that he was trying to save got sold. So cool. I mean, it's like amazingly cool. Reuven can't get out of his own way. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. But let's talk more about brothers, shall we? Because this is about to get really heavy. So, so Yehuda marries this girl and has a child whose name is Er. You know what Er means? Er means destruction. Er means destruction. Ariri. Then he has another kid named Onan. You know what Onan means? Mourning. Mourning with a U. 
as in tragedy. And then he's, he's a third son named Shayla. You're like, what does Shayla mean? Well, I don't know, but it says that she was in Kaziv when he was born. What's Kaziv mean? Disappointment. Why is she disappointed? Because Yehuda wasn't even there for the birth of his own kid. I Meaning Yehuda doesn't like his wife at all. Yehuda does not like Bashua. He doesn't like her. So she names all the kids these awful, awful names. And then what happens? What happens? Er marries Tamar, this wonderful girl. And he's bad. Why is he bad? Because the Torah says he doesn't want to mar her beauty by getting her pregnant. So God kills him. So Yehuda says to his second son, Onan, the mourner, take your brother's wife and do Yibum. But Onan says, I'm not going to make a child for my brother. So he does the same thing, hence the term Onanism. This is the origin of masturbation, is Onanism, from Onan in this week's Parsha. Literally. Again, a guy who won't do from his, anything for his brother. So what happens? God kills him. He dies too. But Yehuda doesn't know these things. He thinks that Tamar is some kind of crazy witch that's killing his son. So he's not about to give her to Shelah. He's not about to give her to Shelah. Now you want to hear something cool. I mean, I'm going to make it worth the wait today. I'm going to make it worth it. I know you have to wait a long time so because we started late, but this isn't going to be so worth it. Check this out. Shayla's a weird name. Doesn't say why she names him Shayla. I want to, I want to halt time for a moment, freeze this, and travel in time 600 years forward or more to the time of King David. King David has a general named Yoav. And King David, of course, as we know, is fighting against the family of Shaul. And the general of the family of Shaul is a guy by the name of Avner. And at one point, Yoav's brother, the general of David's army, Yoav's brother is very fleet of foot. He's very fast. And he catches up to Avner. And Avner says, little boy, stop chasing me. But this little fast boy thinks he can take down Avner. Bad move. And he swings a sword at Avner. And Avner hits him with the back of the spear and kills him. He didn't even hit him with the, with the pointy part. Kills him. Well, you can imagine Yoav, the opposing general, did not like this one bit, though he did not. He did not like that Avner killed his brother. Years later, they make peace. After the death of Shaul, Avner comes to David and says, let's make peace. Let us unite the houses of Judah and Benjamin. You have the children of Rachel, you have the children of Leah. Let's make a truce. I, Avner, stand for the kingdom of Shaul, comes from Rachel. You, David, stand for the kingdom of Yehuda, which comes from Leah. Let's make peace. And David says, great, let's make peace. But Yoav has no such inclinations, because after all, Avner killed his brother. So the Gemara says that Avner, that Yoav sends an invitation to Avner. Hey, let's have drinks. The two generals, let's have drinks. And he kills him. And it says, Vayakehu sham al hashal. He killed him there on the shal. What's the shal? The stone. What does shal mean? Says the Gemara. Do you know how Yoav killed Avner? He said to him, he said to him, General Avner, how do you do chalitza? Avner's like, what do you mean, how do you do chalitza? You take off the shoe. What's the big deal? He goes, yeah, but what happens if you have a woman who has no arms? How's she going to undo the shoe? He says, well, then she'll undo it with her teeth. He goes, how would you do that? He goes, oh, I'll show you. And he goes down 
he goes down to remove Yoav's shoe with his teeth. And Yoav promptly cuts his head off. Says the Gemara, what's shal? Al iske shalu. Shal na'alecha me'al raglecha. Shal means a shoe. Shal means a shoe. When do you find a shoe in the Torah? By chalitza. When a person does not want to build the house of his brother, the wife removes his shoe. So here again, the, the third child who doesn't get to do Yibum with Tamar is named Shelah. And nearly a thousand years in the future, when the children of Rachel and the children of Leah are about to come together, somebody messes it up with a shawl. And you understand that this becomes even more pertinent when you go back in time again. Although I know we're jumping all over the timeline, but so you see the patterns in, in, you see the patterns in the history. Rus, the mother of the monarchy, she realizes that she has to marry Boaz. So it says she goes into the field when he's sleeping and starts to mess with his shoe. You're going to marry me? You're going to do Halitza. What are you going to do? And he says, okay, I understand what you're asking me. I will marry you, but there's someone who has a better claim than me. We got to go to him first. Phony Almoni. But Phony Almoni doesn't want to marry you. So what do they have to do? They make a Kenyan. How do they make a Kenyan? Takes off his shoe. Takes off his shoe. No, I don't think that that is a coincidence. So Yehuda, who doesn't like his brother and tries to kill him, has sons who don't like their brothers and therefore die, and ends up not doing the first Yibum in the Torah, which should have been when Onan would do Yibum for his brother heir. And instead, you get their little brother named Shu. Now, while all this is happening, because you might think, okay, so only only the Judaic line, only the Judaic line are masturbators who don't want to give Yibum to their brothers. Turns out, maybe not so much. Let me talk to you about something crazy. This is crazy. I don't know if this is the chop, but I suspect it might be. I've never heard this anywhere. You've never heard this anywhere either. It's really cool. Kumar says that, uh, so we know that Yosef, Yosef goes down to Egypt. Yosef goes down to Egypt, and his master's wife is all over him. All over him. And, and the, the seduction that she was perpetrating on him is like, I mean, impossible to withstand. It says that she would change her outfit 15 times every day and she'd get her hair done 16 times every day and she'd change the makeup and the whole thing. And they're like, oh, oh my gosh. But he was able to abide. He was, he stayed strong. And then one day, he comes to the house to do his work. And the Gemara says, we know what that means. It was big church day. Nobody was going to be home. That's going to be the day that Yosef came to finally break down and have an, an affair with his master's wife. Well, what happens? What happens? It says, well, he runs outside. He says, no, I can't do it. And he runs outside. But his clothes are inside. Well, I'm sorry. I don't understand. If the clothes are inside and you're outside, that means that you didn't start at zero. Yeah? It means that he ran out in the middle. He ran out in the middle. Gemara says, Gemara and Sota, crazy Gemara, it says, he looks in the window and he sees the of it. He sees the face of his father. He says, how can I do this? I see why he was reminded of his father. And what does he do? Noatz Yodov Bakarka. He stuck his fingers into the ground. And his sperm came out of his ten fingers. Says the Gemara, Yosef should have had twelve sons just like his father did. 
but he's got ten fingers, and his Zerah came out of the ten fingers, so he only has two sons. Now this is interesting, because you say to yourself, I'm not a scientist, but I don't think that's how biology works. So what are you telling me when you say that his Zerah came out from between his fingernails? I'll tell you what it means. And I'll tell you what it means. He saw his father's reflection. He looked in the window and he saw his father's reflection. What was it, a miracle? No, no. He looked like his father. How do I know that? Because it says in the Pasuk, Yaakov loved him most because Ben Zakunim Hulo. There are several pshats. You know what one of the pshat is? He looked like him. So he catches a glimpse of himself in the window and who does he see? He sees his dad. And that's a real turnoff. And so he doesn't, he doesn't go forward with it. But you know, he wasn't perfect, was he? Why would his Zerah come out of his hands? I think it means exactly what it sounds like any eighth grade boy would know. It means that she was the subject of his masturbatory fantasies, just like his nephews. But you want to hear something really cool? There's a crazy Kabbalistic idea that there's something really bad for pregnant women. What's really bad for pregnant women to step on? Nails. Fingernails. Never heard that strange urban tale? Yeah, it's not an urban legend. It's a real thing. It says that fingernails are toxic to pregnant women. I think maybe we have a connection there. Just maybe. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> crazy. But yeah. The other piece yes. Oh, all his stuff. Yeah, his stuff is awesome. His stuff is awesome. Yeah. But one of the things he says, and he traces it all the way through, is that when Joseph walked away from Potiphar's wife, she was holding the coat. His his ceremonial status of his powers coat. But why would he have the ceremonial status? He doesn't have that coat anymore. He was a slave boy. Left her holding the coat. And Foreman tracks this back to, of course, him losing his. Not just his coat in many colors, but also his tribal uh, identity coat. By because he was there. doing that, that mindset. And that he was able mm-hmm. to walk away because he no longer needed the external trappings of what he was wearing to know who he was. That's nice. And it was a more yeah. finding. That's nice. I like that. He's very good. So, one more piece because this, like, I, I know, I know how crazy this whole parsha is, man. It's, it says that the Midianites sold him. The Midianites sold him to Potiphar, Siris Paro, Sarhatabachim. The chieftain of Pharaoh, the person who was in charge of the Tabachim, the kitchens, the butchers. He was the butcher, right? Oh boy, is that a terrible reading. It's a terrible reading. Do you know what chief of the butchers means? The executioner. He was in charge of the butchery. That's what it means. How do I know that that's true? Because it says the one who's in charge of the prisons is the Sar HaTabachim, the chief butcher. It's not the meat man. It's the butcher man. But one second. That's the same guy. I thought you said that Potiphar threw him in jail. Yes, he did. Who's in charge of the jail? The same Potiphar. Why would Potiphar, if he was so angry at him for trying to make a move on his wife, Take care of him and put him in the jail. Answer simple, because he knew his wife was a liar, but it was humiliating. Now, 
Now, the Gemara says, the Gemara says, why did Potiphar buy Yosef? Give you a hint. Yosef was very good looking. I know this, this parsha, by the way, is, is filthy. It's a good thing that when the kids learn it, they have no understanding of what it means. The Imams have no understanding of what it means. The Gemara says that Potiphar bought Yosef as a sex slave. Now, that is not an accident that he was sold by the Midianites. You know why? Because it says later on at the very, very tail end of Sefer Bamidbar that that Moshe sends Pinchas to attack the Midianites. And Rashi brings three shots there as to why he's sending Pinchas. You know what one of them is? It's to take revenge for his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Yosef. Yosef, excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't understand. You're telling me, you're telling me that Pinchas is going to take revenge on the Midianites because they sold Yosef to Mitzrayim? If anything, if you're going to take revenge on someone for selling Yosef to Mitzrayim, you should be taking revenge on Yisrael and not on Midian. Ah, but how did the Jews get involved with the Midianites in the Midbar anyway? They sent their ladies to seduce the Jews. That's how we got in. That's how we got involved with the Midianites in the first place, which resulted in us going and smiting Midian. Well, that's interesting because that's not the first time that the Midianites pulled the trick like that. The Midianites were in the sex trade. The difference between selling Yosef to Mitzrayim as a slave and selling him as a geisha boy are very different. The Midianites sold him to Potiphar, who bought him for that purpose. Says the Gemara, he became impotent. And therefore, he was unable to rape Yosef because first it calls him Potiphar and later it calls him Potifera. The idea being that this slave boy Yosef was bought from the Midianites in the red light district to use as a sex slave. That's why we hate the Midianites. Not because they sold the guy on the block. That's just business. But this is a dirty business. So Potiphar is unable to use Yosef for that which he bought him for. But Potiphar's wife has no such limitation. So now that Potifera, the wife of Potiphar, starts telling him, oh, you know what your slave boy tried to do to me, this and that. Now already he's enraged. I got to get you away from Yosef. So what will I do? I love Yosef. It says he doesn't see anything wrong with Yosef. He thinks Yosef is unbelievable. I don't want to get rid of Yosef. But I can't have him anywhere near my wife. She's driving me crazy. What will I do? No problem. I'll take him out of my house and I'll put him into my business. What's my business? The prisons, the jail, Sarhatabachim. It's the same guy. It's the same guy the whole time. So, ah, to recap, if you were going to, if you were going to zip down this entire, I know, this, <laughs> it's through the looking glass. If we were going to zip down this entire parsha into one tiny thing, it's that when you split Yaakov into 12 parts, the brothers couldn't integrate. So in the Parsha that talks about the brothers' inability to integrate, you find the inability to do Yibum, which of course is the ultimate integration of brothers. And you find not, and, and of course, what's the opposite of integration? It's self-love, quite literally. And you find it happening both by Yosef and by Yehuda. And it has to be fixed. And it takes a very long time to fix. We'll see later on, God willing, in Parsha's Vayigash, how that is actually fixed. But... The reintegration of Yisrael takes a very long time, and unfortunately, we're still living in the shadow of a disintegration of Yisrael between Yehuda and Yosef. And of course, one of the times in history where it did go well was, as you might guess, by Rus, because it says that the children of Leah at the time of Rus put Rachel before Leah, understanding that we are one integrated whole.
And that's a good start for this week. Have an unbelievable Shabbos. And a great Hanukkah!